I feel like people are innately wired to fall into comfort and that's fine. Some people don't want to turn that key or pull that pin um, and that's their prerogative. But I think that the, the greater contagion is uh, showmanship and comparison than anything else. If we can get rid of that, then the apathy and the comfortability will start to naturally evolve because there will be permission to seek fulfillment elsewhere rather than what does my social circle think of me? How many followers do I have? Am I the cool entrepreneur account? Like, who cares? Welcome to the Passion Struck Podcast. My name is John Miles, a former combat veteran and multi-industry CEO turned entrepreneur and human performance expert. Each week, we showcase an inspirational person and message that helps you unlock your hidden potential and unleash your creativity and leadership abilities. Thank you for spending time with me today, and let's get igniting. Welcome to the Passion Struck Podcast. In this episode, I am thrilled to welcome Mac Brazina to the show. Mac is on a mission to provide expert guidance on the road to personal empowerment. While she began her coaching career in personal training, her human building background goes much deeper. Max has a bachelor's degree in mass media and digital communications with a focus on interpersonal dynamics. She's a sponsored certification in personal training and an insatiable thirst for information about the brain and human consciousness. Mac believes there's a lot more to an individual's transformation than just their meat suit. Mac believes in integrating science with candid human connection and mysticism, bridging the gaps between the questions that hold us back. As a compassionate guide, mentor, and coach, Mac nurtures the evolution of each individual with utter confidentiality, non-judgment, and dedication to uniqueness of each human. As she says it, one rep at a time. I am thrilled to be here today with Passion Struck leader, Mac Brazina. Thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm actually thrilled to be here with you. And I first met Mac about 18 months ago. Um, we were both working out at one of our local gyms. And as you'll get into this um, more, you'll, you'll know she's a personal trainer. But more than that, I was just completely blown away by her presence her positive attitude, and her innate desire to build others up around her. You know, she's a mindset shifter, a human builder, a professional coach, and a professional and a personal trainer. So Mac, the purpose of our show is to help others unlock their hidden potential and ignite their passion journeys. So I think one of the good things for our listeners to understand is you have definitely found your hidden potential and unlocked yours, but how did you do it? <laughs> That's such a big question. Um, it's been such a process. And like, with all due respect, you know, I stopped calling myself a personal trainer a long time ago because I feel like, especially with the rise of social media and like the Fitspo generation, fitness inspiration, you know, everybody wants to be a trainer, but so few people have the dedication and the heart and the capacity to step up and be a coach. And really early on in my journey, mostly because I had phenomenal mentors and coaches in my life, I was like, yes, I train, but like, I'm with you for so much more than that. 
uh, for what I call the other 23 hours of the day. So it's the other 23 hours where you're not just in the gym, you're not just training, which is so surface level. Like what we do with this meat suit of ours is so three-dimensional. It's like so limited, but the human potential is limitless. And when I started really falling in love and opening up to why people were coming to me in the first place, what really lit me up, what got me excited and really sitting down with my shadowy aspects and my fears and dementors, as I call them, um, from the Harry Potter books, you know, they, they showed me what, first of all, I had to overcome. And then they showed me the magic that was hidden underneath it that allows me to empathize, connect with, and guide other human beings towards becoming human as fuck, which in my opinion is unlocking that potential, whether it's in the gym or in your work or in your relationships, as long as you are willing to actually turn the key. Actually, I think on the back of this shirt, we have a brain grenade, which is a symbol that I feel is is really representative of what we do because everything that I do and teach is centered around the brain and consciousness, whereas uh, the fitness industry or personal training generally puts that last. They don't really care how you feel or what you actually want or what traumas have transpired in the body. They just want you to shred or look good for their books. And that's just something that I think is far too superficial. But in order to see the power of a grenade or the mind, you have to be willing to pull the pin. You have to make a choice to open that up And while making that choice might seem pretty obvious, like, duh, of course you would want to pull the pin. It's not that simple, especially if you have battled with your brain in the past. It's a very daunting and very scary. Yeah. So when, when you started going into this, did you, did you know this was the route or did, or did the clients kind of like push you in that direction? Oh God. It's so interesting. Cause like when hindsight's 2020, right? So I could look back and be like, yes, I knew exactly where I was going. The reality is and like, none of us do. None of us have any idea what the fuck we're doing. We're all just like (laughs) making it up as we go. Um, But what I was and always have been really good at is listening to my intuition. I'm a very intuitively led individual. You can chop that up to me being an Aries or you can chop it up to intuitive alignment. But I definitely didn't know that this is where it was going to end up. Uh, when I started getting fit, I did so because I didn't have a whole lot else. And I really like self-image, confidence, assuredness in my abilities. I was talking myself out of every which thing. Uh, but at the same time, I had also started boxing with an amazing coach named Frankie Perez. Um, he was amazing. Amazing. Taught me so much. But he he was probably one of the first people that showed me that it was so much more than just what you looked like or what you were doing for the workout. It was how you showed up. It was how you held yourself accountable, the consistency and all of these things. But even outside of the gym or the training room, I have always been fascinated with the brain and psychology and neuroscience. And the more that uh, my journey progressed and my willingness to sit with the discomfort of my own mental health, having struggled with anxiety and depression and panic attacks to boot, I found that there was, it was kind of like a mental holy grail where I was like, I need to know everything about you because you hold so much power over me. And every person that came to me, I was very big on sitting them down and asking why, why are you here? Oh, well, I want to lose weight. That's awesome. We can do that. No problem. Science, calories in, calories out. It's not that hard. Why are you actually here? 
And I've gotten everything from rape to sexual assault, to addiction, to struggling with bipolar, to um, death of loved ones, to murders of loved ones, to uh, any tragedy or uh, human affliction you could imagine has crossed my room at some point. And the more that happened and the more I embarked on my own path, my own path is in the one that aligned and felt the most resonant with me as a human being, the more I realized that people were coming to me, not just for the workout. I can write a great workout, but it's not that hard. You know, like I I can write you a swanky meal plan. It'll be geared and mathematically awesome. It's going to be great, but it's still only going to get you 10% of the way there. I wanted to take people all the way to their full potential. And every person that crossed my path would reaffirm that to me by saying, no, I'm, I'm coming to you for the mind stuff. I want to understand my brain. I want to battle. I've been struggling with anxiety. I've struggled with eating disorders. I have all of these other things. And really every person that's ever crossed my path is a reflection of a past version of myself. And I never, ever, ever miss a moment to acknowledge that. I always let a client know when I'm experiencing that reflection with them, because that's That is the beauty in being human as fuck is when we can acknowledge that humanness and empathize fully and completely empathize with the other individual from this grounded human perspective of saying, no, I, I've been where you are. I understand what you're feeling and you can get out. Here's how. Okay. Matt, that's great. Really great background. And one of the things I, I picked up on is, uh, you're, you're a boxer and, you know, I boxed for two, two, two and a half years, um, In my case, I was forced to do it because I was uh, at the Naval Academy, but we're all our first two years, you know, we do that. We do different martial arts. We do judo. But I think uh, one thing that it really taught me, um, you know, I I think military levels the playing field because, you know, when you're at an institution like that, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your background was. You know, everyone wears the same uniform when you're in that ring you had better show up or you're going to be lights out. And, you know, one of the things I really um, got enamored with is it really taught me, you know, there's training with the person in the ring, but there's all these things that you have to do outside of it. And I, you know, what are some of the things that you, you picked up? Was any of that similar for you? Oh my God. The only reason I haven't kept boxing is because I haven't found a coach that I feel good with yet. Like that's how much I love it. I was training like five days a week, two hours a day, loved MMA and boxing so much. Um, the biggest thing that I took away from that sport in particular, cause I've had a myriad of sports cross my path, um, mostly because I like to try new things and make myself uncomfortable is that the, the opponent that you're fighting is not the opponent in the ring. It's the one in the mirror. Like there's a reason why boxers shadow box. They're boxing themselves. They're fighting themselves and knowing who that true opponent is and what your true objective is, which is to be fully present. First of all, if you're not present, you're getting hit in the face. Keep your boundary. Know where you're strongest, know where you're weakest and be willing to take a hit and then get back up. Whether it's a hit or a hit from an opponent. Yeah, I I totally get what you mean. I I remember um, I was um, in high school pretty decent runner. And we were lucky enough, uh, my sophomore year in high school to, to win the state champ- championships. And, but as we were going through that process, I realized I was going through the motion more for the team members 
and you know to be part of the team than I was to personally make a difference. And it really was not until after they left and I became you know the man that I really started looking inside and it became so much more about you know me looking in the mirror and having to figure out you know what's my form like you know what's my stride like am i working out the hardest i can be am i pushing myself am i doing all these things to improve where i could be and for me it wasn't until that point that i truly broke out and i think that's kind of what you're saying your biggest competitor is yourself absolutely whether it's you know in the gym you know and pushing yourself to do that eighth rep when you know you've only got six in you or, you know, in business or, or whatever. So I, I think that's, you know, that's a great analogy. So, you know, one of the things uh, you, you were talking about is mindset. And, you know, I have been doing yoga um, a long time now, but some may find it surprising where I started. And because a lot of times when I tell my friends I do yoga, they, they look at me and they're like, you know, that's not that macho, a th- you know, a thing. So, but I actually started doing it. Uh, I spent a tour with uh, um, SEAL Team 10 and they did it there for flexibility. And, you know, so it not only flexibility, but mindset. So as a personal trainer, um, you know, that's where I try to get some of my mindset back is that or, you know, taking long walks or figuring out ways to do it. You know, what are some ways that, uh, that you train those people you coach on, on how to get that mindset fixed in everything they do. Absolutely. Everything they do. I, I steer clear of the word mindset because it's so generalized. And when we look at the brain as a muscle, there's so many ins and outs and intricacies of it. And anatomically we can look at it and say, yeah, this is the brain. It's the same for everybody, but it's not the wiring and the way in which these wirings transpire and happen in these dialogues that happen between the peripheral, the central nervous system, the intrinsic nervous system of the heart are all unique to every single person. And the way that the brain fires is entirely unique to every single individual. Um, So the first step in shifting your perspective or your mindset, but really the POV with which you're choosing to look at your life is creating an awareness at all. Some people will go into yoga or a yoga class or do a video and their brain's still running on what they got to do. Their conscious brain is just ticking off things. They're still talking shit to themselves. They're not actually fully present. But yoga by definition is union. It's union with God. It's union with the body. It's union of the mind, heart, and gut. It's full and complete conscious presentness and unity. And that's something that I try to bring into the weight room as much as I do to the mat, um, with, whether I'm physically training a client or working with my clients online. But the first step is creating any awareness. Be aware of when your body is tense. Where are you holding it? Where does it go? Don't try and stop it, but where does it go? Be aware of the thoughts that happen autonomically. Are you talking shit to yourself? Are you projecting judgments onto other people because you're afraid they're going to do it to you? Maybe we can just observe it. We don't have to do anything about it. We can just observe it. In that awareness and observation is where we give ourselves as human beings an opportunity to choose. And then from making that choice, we can shift our mindset. But we can't just be positive or that's what I call toxic positivity. 
because there are negative emotions that need to be felt. Otherwise, they won't be processed and they'll just hide in your body elsewhere or they'll harbor into a behavior that you don't necessarily want. You know? Yeah, exactly. I am. Um, I don't think um, I, I had mentioned this to you before, but I, I, I've written a book. It's, it's going to be coming out here in the near future. But, uh, thank you. Um, w- one of the chapters, and I know you like to use uh, metaphors and analogies. One of the things I, I use in the book is something I call the mosquito principle. And this derived from, you know, I was driving in the car and the announcer came on and said, you know, what is the most deadly animal in the world? And, you know, my mind went to, you know, a lion, a shark, killer whale. And he came back and said, it's the mosquito because they kill so many people around the world, you know, almost 10 times that of, uh, of other animals. And so I started thinking about it and I came back with, you know, there are so many mosquitoes in our lives. There's, you know, and I, I labeled them, you know, there's the invisible suffocator, so that's the person where you say, I'm going to launch this new business called um, Human Builder. And they're like, well, do you understand the repercussions? Do you understand the time constraints? You know, there are these half glass empty, you know, and then, I, then there's the pain in the ass mosquitoes, you know, and then there's the blood suckers who want to just drain the blood out of you. But as I started looking at it, you know, not only do you have to do an audit of those mosquitoes, I found, you know, there are things that you're doing in your life that you need to get rid of, you know, is going to that bar really allowing you to show up or any of those people that you're hanging out there with, you know, really helping you on this path that you want to go to. And so, you know, it's kind of along the same lines of, of what you're saying, you've got to do a a mosquito audit in your life. Absolutely. It's funny that you say that too, because I have a client who was, uh, she has her bachelor's degree in kinesiology. She was a collegiate athlete. Like she's so much fun for me to work with. Like we, we have an absolute blast and we actually used to work together. And I just, I love her to pieces. And we talk really openly when we're training about anxiety and about what's going on in our lives or spirituality and things like that. And so one day she was like, oh, I got, got all these like thoughts like you just got to catch them in the act. You got to zap them. She's like, they're like little mosquitoes. I've decided. And every time they come up, I just go zap. And I'm like, that's really good. Like they just kind of fly into the, uh, into the bug light. And my man and I are really into a show called big mouth, which is so awful. And it's good. And they, in this last season talked about the anxiety mosquitoes that just buzz around you with this fear, but they're just mosquitoes. Like you just got to swat them away. You know, even I call them ants. So yeah. they're automatic negative thoughts, right? But they're just ants. Like, are you going to let an ant take your lunch? Like if an ant came up to you and you're having a picnic in the yard or like in, in, the, in the park or something and an ant comes up and he's like, I'm going to take your sandwich. You'd be like, get out of here. Like, flick that motherfucker away. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's just exactly. an ant. But, but they're so loud, These whether it's a negative individual in our lives, which is really easy to spot most of the time. But what's really difficult is noticing those tendencies and those characteristics within ourselves, which I'm a big believer in holding ourselves accountable to. So are there like mosquitoes or ants living in your brain that are keeping you from doing things? Are there things uh, in your life that you really just need to swat and get rid of? You know, um, but if we chop it up to them, you know, being loud or being buzzy and, you know, 
just these nuisances in our lives, then, then we're not going to do anything with it. But if we can acknowledge it and see it within ourselves, then we can also see it in other people. And when we see it in other people, first, we can have more compassion for them. We can hold more space for them. We can also draw our boundary where we need to and just go, yes. all right, I, I see you. I see you. We're going to put you over there. You know what I mean? A- absolutely. Um, you know, it, it kind of leads me to, you know, one of the things I, I keep seeing is I, I believe we've got two major contagions um, facing most Western cultures. And, you know, people would say, you know, you're in the middle of a pandemic, but I believe we're on the verge of a, of a national emergency almost. And that's because I think people are falling so much into comfort and apathy, which I call the contagion of the human mind and that contagion of the human spirit, that they're pursuing these things that I've, I've labeled like a portfolio career instead of doing you know, living a purpose-filled life. Yeah. And I was wondering, is that something that you're seeing in your clients? And, you know, what are some of the reasons that you think it's happening? It's interesting that you say that because there's a handful of contagions. There's apathy, 100%. There's comfort, 100%. Because every human being's right is to evolve. You are not beholden to the narrative that you were brought here with. You are not beholden to your traumas, to your past. You are a human being, and therefore you have the right to change and evolve. The comfort, though, I think people align with because the discomfort is so great and it's very in your face uh, where the other contagion I would align with this topic in particular is social media, uh, which is actually why I'm on social media, because my intention is to bring humanity back to this very vapid desert wasteland of validation and superficiality. and. I find people looking more to check a box and do a thing to say that they did it rather than asking whether or not it truly aligns and resonates with them. I see it a lot in coaches and trainers, especially because of the social media bump of fitness. I see it a lot in people caught in the corporate monster where they really want to break away. They want to do something. They really want to create something of value, but that internal dialogue of fulfillment and self compassion is almost entirely muted, partially out of survival. Because if they were to allow that to open up while they're in the middle of this corporate monster, it would eat them alive, you know? So I feel like people are innately wired to fall into comfort and that's fine. Some people don't want to turn that key or pull that pin um, and that's their prerogative. But I think that the the greater contagion is uh, showmanship and comparison than anything else. If we can get rid of that, then the apathy and the comfortability will start to naturally evolve because there will be permission to seek fulfillment elsewhere rather than what does my social circle think of me? How many followers do I have? Am I the cool entrepreneur account? Like who cares? Yeah. It's, um, you know, I had this, um, pastor years ago and one of my favorite uh, sermons he ever preached on was the main thing about the main thing is keeping the main thing, the main thing mm-hmm. mouthful, but you know, it, it comes from, uh, you know, it originally came from the Bible, but, um, my whole, the whole reason I, I like that sermon is it really teaches you that so much about today. And you're talking about social media. So many people are caught up today in what is urgent versus what's important. And you can't have both. 
you know, you actually a really good point. I want to hop in on that really quick because the brain does this too, especially if we battled with anxiety to any degree, which most human beings do, especially right now. If we're constantly worried about what's important versus what's necessary, um, we're missing everything in between. And the brain only deems what's important based off of past survival stimuli it's received and saved. So if there is an anxious or a, a, a survival response linked to comparison being on social media or something of that effect, the brain says, this is immediately urgent. I must address it now. If a trigger gets pulled for somebody uh, that has to do with a past trauma or something that has been stored in their limbic system, the amygdala is going to go haywire and the brain is going to say, this is urgent. You must address it now, which is how we fall into those patterns of cyclical thought and negative self-talk as well. Yeah. So tell me, um, you know, I know you've done a lot of studying about uh, the brain and how the brain relates to human performance. You know, what, what led you down that path? Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things, and Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities. From scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates, it's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees, and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers... According to a recent survey, saying Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Just go to Indeed.com slash PassionStruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now, back to Passionstruck. Battling it myself. It was the, the biggest obstacle I ever had to overcome was my mental health. I'm talking, I, I dropped out of school for two years because I couldn't get to class because my anxiety was too high. I had lost my job, moved in with my mom, like cut myself off from my dad. I was in a toxic relationship. Like I could tell you, the days I've woken up without feeling anxiety more than I could tell you the days that I haven't woken up with anxiety. Does that make sense? Like to me, that was just the way my brain functioned. And, um, my dad has battled with mental illness. My mother, my, my siblings, um, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, bipolar disorder, depression. I already said depression, um, ADHD, so for me, it was kind of a, this stops with me mentality. And in order to do that, I've kind of made myself this vessel of experimentation and research where I'm always trying to sit in the back seat of my mind and of my body 
and really observe how things happen, not only in the gym and in movement, but how certain thoughts come out and what they feel like and what the energetic response is and how it feels in my body and really creating this infinitely expansive relationship between what used to terrify me between my ears and what I used to not be able to look at below the neck. And now I found this really comfortable, loving, maternal relationship with my own body and my own mind that allows me to safely and healthfully explore these things and open up the gateway of guidance for me to use this, not only scientific and researched information, but personal, empathetic, real human grounded information that I've acquired through my own trial and error. And some could say that's naive, but in my opinion, it's what's made me and human builder as successful as it has been is my willingness to go there with myself. Yeah. I, I have not talked about it uh, a lot publicly, but, um, you know, I have gone through myself, all kinds of trauma, military trauma, physical assault, witnessing, you know, people die in front of me, you know, lots of different things. Um, and I think we come from, you know, we come from two different generations, but for me, you know, being in the military, et cetera, I, I never, I never got uh, treatment for it. In fact, um, you, it was looked at, uh, very poorly, even if you brought it up. So, you know, there was kind of this, you know, culture of suck it up buttercup and, and move on to the next thing. And so, you know, when I started pursuing my career, you know, I would see these people who, you know, would call out because they were anxious or depressed and, you know, they were actually, you know, kind of labeled as a, as a laughing stock. And so as I sat there and observed it, um, you know, I myself spent so many years just struggling inside because, you know, the person I was portraying on the outside, you know, wasn't that I, I had no outlet and I, you know, for these things. And I kept just internalizing the pain I was feeling. Um, and, and it took many, many years. That uh, is more, I appreciate you sharing that with me. And it's, it's important for men in your position to speak about this because there, you had mentioned the term macho earlier um, with regard to military culture. And I work with a lot of military guys and I, veterans have been a huge part of my life for a very long time. And, um, there is something to be said for a call to action for this culture to welcome and openly embrace the discussion of mental health and mental illness as it results from combat, from conditioning, from training, from culture that if gone unaddressed, you said you just stifled it. Well, that's going to destroy your gut. It's going to cause inflammatory conditions. It's going to keep you from sleeping. It's going to keep you from having sex. Talking about macho, like these are the things that stand in the way of your archetypes uh, permission to be human. And part of that humanity is allowing and experiencing and openly discussing these emotional experiences that are unsavory, but they by no means make anyone male or female weak. They're human. Yeah. And, and that, you know, for me, um, even, 
it, it reached a point for me and, and maybe there are other veterans that feel this way, but for, you know, for me, for years, I had trouble being around veterans. I wouldn't step foot in a, a VFW. I wouldn't step foot in an American Legion. I didn't talk to many of my friends, you know, b- because a lot of it brought up that, you know, the, the past trauma. And so then it would cause the other things you're talking about, whether it was, you know, constant insomnia or hypervigilance or, you know, it, it kept um, that pattern going. And, you know, for me, un- unfortunately, kind of what led me finally to get help is I had a, a home robbery um, that I walked in on in 2017. Oh my God. And, and I had, you know, I had gone through a divorce at that point and had, you know, once you do that, you, you all of a sudden go from you're constantly around people to, you know, for the first time in 20 years, I had free time, Yeah. you know, and so you start analyzing things about your life, um, et cetera, and what you like and what you don't and start facing the, you know, the brutal reality of what's going on. But I, I, I took my daughter to, to school this day, and um, at the time I was working out at Orange Theory a few days a week, and I went to this normal class, and they had an electrical fire. So I went home, you know, against my normal schedule, and I walk in, and there's this pair of, uh, you know, shoes in in the hallway that aren't 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 mine, but I was renting, and I thought it was a person from the rental company who was doing work. So I started, you know, saying, you know, I'm home, who's here? And then I just figured they had, um, you know, earphones on or something and couldn't hear me. And as I went up my stairs, uh, there's a man holding a gun pointed at me. And um, next thing I know, you know, it's fear and flight and everything else. Um, but that that incident kind of took all those things that I'd been suppressing and trying to deal with and multiplied it by tenfold. Um, And then unfortunately, a week later, you know, one of my best friends um, committed suicide. So it was kind of like two things back to back. And, you know, going through that, um, it really made me face the fact that, you know, I am never going to be the person I am destined to be unless I, I deal with this and start dealing with these inner demons you know, because you're right, it impacts your interpersonal relationships. It impacted, uh, you know, for me, work. It impacted because um, my mind would check out all the time. And like you're saying, it, it still is, you know, um, I constantly have to catch myself and it drives my uh, my kids and I know my girlfriend crazy because all of a sudden they'll be talking to me and my mind is, you know, in southern Iraq or it's in Bosnia or it's at that um you know, it, it's back at, at, at the house where that incident happened. Yeah. So, you know, what, what have you found? And maybe, and then maybe I'll share some of mine. How have you found ways to unpack that and put it to the side? So, you know, you can, like you said, observe your mind from behind and realize when this is happening and, and, you know, take yourself out of that situation. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, Cause that's, I appreciate your vulnerability. I have more respect for vulnerability than I do pretty much anything else because it's not easy. And it takes a level of emotional, physical strength to put our fears out there. And we can look at these things and say, well, how do I put them to the side? How do I shush them? How do I 
process them. These are the things that keep me from being me. Or we could look at these things and say, no, these were the ingredients to make you exactly who you were meant to be, which is in this context, a a voice. You know, this is a dialogue that a lot of uh, men that specifically men, well, men and women that resonate with your story or anything in between. It's 2020. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that resonate with your story and your experiences are hearing this and saying, oh my God, I'm not crazy. Like this, this happens to somebody else. You know, maybe there's an opportunity for me to heal too. So we can look at these traumas and these experiences and say, why did this happen to me? Why couldn't it have been different? Uh, why can't I get rid of this? Why is it here? Or we can look at it and say, thank you for showing me this information, whatever that information might be. Thank you for allowing me to have these first person awarenesses so that I can more effectively and compassionately guide and present leadership to those who might really need it. My personal why with everything was coaching with social media, with everything is suicide prevention. So I really want to take a moment and like illuminate that, that whoever's listening to this, there is nothing you are going through that will be solved through that. So please reach out to anyone, to me, to, to John, to anybody, if that's something that you're dealing with. But um, more specifically, when it comes to processing trauma, there are infinite ways to go about this. My first response is going to be asking for help, having a trusted individual, whether it is a therapist a mentor, a friend, uh, somebody that you can openly be vulnerable and honest with about these triggers as they're presenting themselves to you, a coach. If you don't have that, the first thing to ground yourself into is that while your brain is experiencing this post-traumatic memory in the present, that is not happening in the present. So the first step is to get you out of whether it is a regressive thought looking back or a fearful foresight thought, uh, which anxiety by definition is fear of the future. If we create the awareness that our brain is time traveling between past and future, we can ground it into the present. And this is going to sound really silly, but I promise that it works. And I want you to try this like the next time that you feel your trigger is getting pulled. Count the colors in the room. The frontal lobe is responsible for all labeling, categorizing, uh, and messaging of the brain. So it's the one that makes the decisions. It's the one that uh, plans for potential threats. But the only way it can do that is by assessing past threats and past traumas. So when it reaches back into the limbic system and says, when was the last time this thing happened? Well, what is the most likely outcome for this? Your brain is going to rifle through all of the things that could go wrong so that it can keep you safe. But if we look at it and say, I'm here, I'm now physically, I'm safe. The second thing you do between bringing your awareness to the present and getting your brain out of time travel is breath. The breath is one of the subconscious functions that we actually have conscious control of. So if we're able to bring awareness to the way that we breathe, the thoughts and the racing memory and the time traveling starts to slow because you're asking your brain to focus on something else. Third thing I would tell you to do is put it in writing. Writing is one of, I I call it neurological digestion, but if you don't do it, if you don't process, you're going to have neurological indigestion, which results in like brain farts and absent-mindedness. But really writing or chronicling these experiences uh, for what they were and what you learned from them, which seems extreme, but um, whether it's journaling or lists 
or whatever it might be, allowing your brain to fully digest it and bring it in so that you can digest this neurological process rather than shushing it because it's just going to come back around. Did you know that Forbes magazine recently cited that over 70% of individuals who did personal development courses, masterminds, or one-on-one coaching benefited from improved work performance, relationships, and more effective communication skills? Here at PassionStruck, we are obsessed with self-development, coaching, and mentorship. That is why we've created a free resource to help you unlock your hidden potential. Because people doing great things in business and life are just like you. They have just gotten some coaching along the way. And we have got you covered so you can too. Let us show you the systems and frameworks that we teach growth-minded individuals to help them to unlock their purpose and live and build a passion-struck life that gets predictable results and gives you the freedom that you actually want. Go to passionstruck.com slash coaching right now to get started. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think uh, you've, you've hit on a, a ton of great points there. You know, one of, one of the things I've, I've learned going through it is, is, you know, one thing you said was absolutely true for me. You know, I hate talking about it. And, you know, recently, um, <laughs> because I'm at, at the VA and, and undergoing some treatment for it, I've had to repeat it probably more times over the past four months than I have in the past 24 years. Yeah. But, you know, I'm realizing through that I can be more vulnerable about it. But uh, for me, one of the best things I started to do was to write because I found I could be more vulnerable, especially with myself. And one of the, the biggest steps, I first steps I took is I, it took me years to want to wanna write this article, but I wrote an article on the impact of traumatic brain injuries, yeah. but kind of the journey from once you have them to the misunderstanding that's happening in the medical world, because, you know, they, they immediately want to say, you know, a, a traumatic brain injury gets better with time. And while in many cases that is true, that's not always the case. And so you immediately, many of us get labeled as if you have a mental health issue. And for me, I didn't start feeling depression until, you know, 15 years after I had the TBIs. And I kept saying, you know, there's a, there's a physical reason for this, because if it was just mental, you know, I could deal with it, but there's other things going on. And, you know, I went through this process of no one believing, no one believing. And finally, you know, I I went to the TBI clinic at the VA and, you know, guess what? I had physical issues, you know, a vestibular dysfunction that was causing a lot of these things to happen. So I decided to write about it because I think if I, if one person could read that article, you know, I kind of have it buried on medium because it's not something I put on social media, but you know, if someone reads that and, you know, now 3,500 or so people have read it, you know, I think you can change someone's life. Absolutely. Yeah. And you were talking about, you know, helping veterans. And I, you know, I remember hearing a story from you on another podcast that your family especially, I think it's your mom and, and maybe an aunt, um, do a lot uh, to help, um, veterans. And one thing I picked up on is, um, you know, I suffer from chronic pain. I think many, many, uh, veterans do. And I think that was something that, uh, your mom might deal with. And so, you know, if you, 
could talk a little bit about that story and that foundation she's doing with, uh, I think it's uh, stem cell research. Yeah. 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 Well, stem cell and, our, uh, and alternative pain solutions. So my mom um, had a series of events transpire uh, that left her bedridden for close to seven years, uh, six years. She actually just the other day took off the chairlift. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. So it's, it's pretty crazy. And my mom, I, my grandma, savage mom, savage, like they are entrepreneurial badasses. My grandma and my grandpa were both in the air force. My grandma was an air force nurse. My grandpa was, um, an air force fighter pilot. And my grandfather on my dad's side was a military medic in world war II. So we have military family going back on both sides. And my grandma's superpower was plastic surgery. She had the oh, number wow. one plastic surgery recovery facility to the stars. And so she decided to utilize those resources and connections to provide reconstructive surgery to wounded veterans returning back so that they could get a little bit of their humanness and chutzpah back. And I, I was heavily involved with that growing up. And then my mom, having battled with chronic pain, she's undergone over 100 procedures, um, including ketamine infusions, operations, pain pumps, you name it, she's dealt with it. I have nothing but respect for her, having gone through as much as she's gone through and still coming out on the other side going, well, how can I use this to help somebody? Yeah, so she's uh, created Veterans in Pain, or VIP, where uh, she provides pro bono stem cell and alternative medical solutions to veterans who are battling chronic pain because these solutions aren't available to the v um, through the VA. And the VA does very little to help in an alternative way. And sometimes, sometimes, most, if not all of the time, standard Western medical procedures only scratch the surface of what's actually going on. She's worked with uh, Dr. Prager out of UCLA, who was an amazing, amazing soul to come through and help her. Um, and he is a pain specialist and they have an integrative pain program where they also have a psychologist on staff and they have a myriad of other specialists working together with the awareness that pain is not just uh, a physical experience, but it is also a psychological, emotional and sensory experience as well. Well, I... Thank you for sharing that. And that's, that's an amazing thing uh, because, you know, I, I have suffered, you know, personally from Achilles injuries for, oh, for wow. years and years and years. And, you know, an impact, you know, from a person who, you know, co competed division one as a runner has run marathons to now not, I haven't been able to run in five or six years. It, um, it's completely changed my life. And yet yeah. my, my type, they can't do surgery on. So, you know, I've tried everything from taking, um, from taking painkillers to taking, you know, homeopathic things. And currently, you know, my research is showing stem cells, you know, are one of the things that can fix it. So I'm sure, you know, if it works for this, there's so many parts of the body that it can positively impact. And I know very little about stem cells, so I, I'm not going to speak on its processes at all, because I, I know very, very little about it. But what I can say is that my mom, did I mention that they took down the chairlift? Like she's doing great. Yes, that is, <laughs> that is unbelievable. 
So uh, she's doing great. She fills out her whole day working with VIP. I highly recommend you check it. You definitely need to check it out if you haven't already. She's she's doing wonderful stuff. Well, that's that's fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, an, another thing I, I'll add is for any veterans who are out there who are dealing with um, issues faced by traumatic brain injury, I found an incredible foundation called the Warrior Angels Foundation, another nonprofit, and it was uh, started by a, a Green Beret. And I heard about it on the Jim Rohn show, and he is working with a homeopathic neurocologist, I guess is what they call it, but they have found that hormone treatment and supplements can do so much. Um, and it's now more and more studies are coming back, but I think they've, they've now helped, uh, 250, 300 in that range of veterans. And I've been on their supplements about two months and I'm already seeing a pretty profound difference in, you know, with helping with focus and you know, concentration issues and everything else. So wanted to throw that, uh, that out as well. Awesome. So I'm glad, you know, we had this long talk about, um, you know, dealing with trauma because one of the things that, that completely blew me away is I, I don't, I don't know your exact age, but you know, I've got a 22 year old and I don't think you're much older than him, but you know, when I met you, and, and since I've, I've grown to know you, you're one of the most authentic people I know. Well, thank and you. It was actually one of the things that caused me to, to, to speak to you. And I was, you know, wondering in the back of my mind, how is this young lady so confident in who she is and her message? You know, and you've talked about it. But, you know, I think people look at, uh, you know, they're, they're in their 20s. And many of them, you know, I, you and I had two very different backgrounds, but a lot of it's similar. You know, I didn't have a normal background because when I was in my twenties, you know, I, I was at a service academy, you know, and then I'm fighting in wars. And so completely different than most people's, you had a different one because you were facing, you know, trauma in your twenties, but how, how do you teach, you know, how do you tell people your age that they can, you know, rise out of that and gain the confidence that you have? Uh, the running joke in my family is like, thanks. It's the trauma. Like <laughs> that's what got us here. Um, I also tell people that on the inside, I'm like 126. There's a lot of layers to this that I'm not going to go into, but, um, can you clarify the question? Cause I, there's so many ways for me to go with this that like, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. Well, I, I guess what what I was wondering is, you, you know, there's like you you go in the gym and you and I have have both seen it, and there are those there there are those people who are like plotting away. There are those who you know the macho man who are you know looking in the mirror every ten seconds, and you, you know there are those people there who I think it it's just like within them that you know the working out brings them so much joy. And that they want to share, you know, that joy and confidence with others. And that's kind of how, you know, a lot of times I don't feel people are approachable. You know, they have their headsets on, you know, I do that a lot. And for you, it would just felt something different. And I could just sense. That's you know, so funny to me because I have like the worst training RBF in like resting bitch face. The worst, <laughs> the worst. Like when I'm in a set, I look like I could punch a kitten. And I would never, you know, like I'm the nicest person, uh, within reason, but I think 
to answer your question as far as like gaining confidence or uh, feeling comfortable in your own skin enough to like share your message and be vulnerable, um, I just hang out with you. You're pretty dope. You know, if you're, so you hang don't out, with yourself. out with you, who will, <laughs> you know, I would definitely say spend some time with yourself. And, and the other thing I would say is um, get to know little you because he, she, they is very much so alive and well. And getting to know that little unfucked with, untampered with version of you has all of the answers. Yeah, I, I heard, you're right. I heard, um, I can't remember who his guest was, but I recently listened to a Tom Bilyeu uh, Impact Theory podcast and his guest was talking about, you know, the first thing to think about when you go, you know, searching for your self-identity is, you know, what, like you're saying, what did you love when you were a kid? You know, what were those things that made you smile, brought you so much happiness, you know, kind of ruled your world. And, you know, I, I think regardless of what, what age it is, that's a good starting point. It's a great starting point. I, I don't think enough people do that. You know, in the spiritual healing community, they'll talk about healing the inner child. Like, yeah, okay. It's the little, it's little you, it's you before the world got to you. And he's still there. She's still, they are still there. They're, they're still super aware. They're, uh, most of our trauma triggers to kind of bring this conversation full circle are the wounded, unheard, underappreciated younger version of us that did not feel that they got what they needed or didn't feel like they mattered at all. And so if we start to listen to them, if we start to bring that awareness and that dialogue with our past or younger version of ourselves, to the forefront of our awareness, then we can say, okay, I understand you didn't feel heard then. How can I make you feel heard now? I understand you didn't have this information then, but look at our, everything that we've learned and what you have available to you now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and that, and that kind of leads me into, you know, as people are approaching that one of the, I mean, I think the two biggest complaints I, you know, I always hear about is I'm, you know, when I'm mentoring or working with someone is, you know, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, you know, and, and I think, you know, your way of, of talking about the other 23 hours is a good way to put it. Because I think, in my own mind, I think time is malleable. Uh, yeah. And I'll go and I'll go back to that. Um, that example that I gave when I was running cross country, you know, at, at one point, you know, it never seemed like I had any time at all. And then all of a sudden, when I was getting better and better and better, and I was putting the focus there, all of a sudden, five minutes would seem like it was, you know, sometimes it would feel like five minutes was 30, but at other times I'd run an hour run and it feel like it was five minutes. And I think you find time for what you're passionate about. So, you know, I wanted to, you know, lead you in with that uh, about this concept of the other 23 hours. So in my opinion, you can't afford not to. You I, I would agree with not you to invest in yourself or spend time with you. Um, the other thing that I'd like to piggyback off of that is that the brain doesn't know how to tell time. Time is something that we have constructed to give ourselves some sense of time and space based on the solar rhythm. And then our body functions off of that circadian rhythm based off of the amount of sunlight we do or don't get which because of how much tech we have uh, in our experience, the blue light emitted from this tech stimulates that circadian rhythm to make it think it's daytime. If you've ever been to Vegas, they do the same thing. If you're walking through the Venetian at 3 a.m. and the sky's blue, you're like, I'm not tired. Like, no shit. Like your body thinks it's daytime. 
Um, the same goes for memory, right? So if we're talking about traumas, if we're talking about uh, old belief systems, if we're talking about healing little you, hanging out with little you, we're talking about memories that exist in the brain that have not been processed yet. Not only that, but the brain does not know whether it's happening right now or if it's already passed to the nervous system, especially in a post-traumatic sense, it's happening right freaking now in your nervous system. It's like, nope, here it is. This is what's happening. So if we can ground that and appreciate that and say, I understand brain that you think that this is happening right now. I understand that this is the way things were, but that doesn't mean that it's the way things are. And when we take that present perspective, we can consciously and with intention redirect that into something that's far more serving to our overall well-being. The only way to do that is to get comfortable with the other 23 hours of the day, which is where you do the reps that matter. You can flex all you want in the gym. You can be the biggest, baddest motherfucker in the gym and still be small on the inside. Uh, what a what an amazing point. And something that you see all the, you know, all literally the all the time. <laughs> literally all the time. All the time. <laughs> well, I can't be on a podcast with you without talking about female influence, you, you know, because I think it's, it's something that's core to you. And I just wondered, you know, in discussing female influence, how do you think a woman's strength and aspects of masculinity in them are changing? You, you know, because I think women today are far different than women, you know, when I was growing up. So, you know, what does that look like? And they're the not, second part, they're not, they're just open about it. They're okay. Women are amazing. If I were to argue, like I love men, I work with mostly men. Women have the superpower of maternal instinct, which allows us to not only have compassion for ourselves. You ever seen a group of female women? They are so physically affectionate with one another. Girl, you look amazing. I mean, ideally, I mean, if you're hanging out with the right women, with empowered women, they are going to empower you. If you're hanging out with weak women, they're going to tear you down. They're going to be a mosquito. They're going to suck all the goodness out of your life. But when it comes to uh, influence takes such an interesting term connotation too, with the influencer archetype, which I don't even know what that means. But when it comes to female influences in my own life that I believe and hold to that female empowerment standard, the first person that comes to my mind is my grandmother and my great-grandmother and my mom. My great-grandmother supported her entire family through the depression by starting a knitting company. Wow. My grandmother was an Air Force nurse who started the number one plastic surgery recovery facility to celebrities in Beverly Hills. She had a whole wing of a hotel that was just hers to run her business and do her thing. And then she started her foundation and she's a real estate, like she has a real estate license and works in, uh, you know, investing in real estate and all of that. So she's a badass. My mom had divorced my dad at 28 with a kid on each hip. My brother was about six months old and a couple of years later wound up remarrying, but built her entire photography business from the ground up because it was something that she was passionate about that she always wanted to do. Um, she had finished her degree even after taking time off, having been through a very complex marriage um, and, you know, procreating, which will do a number on a woman. 
And she started an incredibly successful photography business that wound up being international. She was being flown around the globe to do weddings for very high level people. So when I think of female empowerment, my instinct is to combat business being the center of it. But I feel like it's the self-sufficiency and the willingness to be a tried and true self-starter from start to finish that makes an empowered woman an empowered woman, where she is not going to be reliant on the approval, the acceptance of a man in her life, which is the conventional breadwinner, the conventional nuclear breadwinner, which there's a lot of issues with the nuclear archetype that we'll talk about that later. But a woman that's willing to say, you know what? I know I've been through things and I still have love to give. I know that I'm strong physically and I'm feminine and sexy and letting myself own it. I know that I can fuck you up if I need to, but I will love you enough to hear you out first. To me, an empowered woman is a balanced woman who is, it's not about masculine or feminine because they exist in all of us, whether we have a dick or not. It's the balance of those two energies and the, the, equal give and take that flows through an individual's experience that makes an empowered woman an empowered woman. And that doesn't have to be buff. No, that's great. Um, uh, My my partner right now um, happens to be a nurse practitioner, but um, she has really so many qualities that are far different than people I, I, you know, had been with in the past. And one of them is a lot of you reminds me a lot of her. I mean, she, she is human as fuck. And, you know, there's, she doesn't hide any of it. She wears it all on her sleeve and you're going to get exactly what she feels, especially if you're her person when she's talking to you. Can I just tell you that's a gift because that woman, if she is that way has been through some shit and she has dealt with likely the polar opposite of what you're offering her and is like, listen, I care about you so much. I'm going to be blunt with you. I feel for you and have so much love for you. I'm going to be straight with you because she doesn't want to mislead you or be misled. Like that's, that's power. That's a gift. That's true love in my opinion. Yeah. And it, it just, it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, on any given day she sees, you know, from 20 to 30 patients, and, you know, she's this outpouring of, of empathy to everyone she meets. And, you know, she's, you know, she can turn that off and be, you know, the most incredible partner you would, you would want, who even is fucked up as I am, <laughs> you know, um, and I think we all are, you know, is there, um, you know, support me when, you know, at times my head is a million miles away and, you know. Well, I'd like to take a moment here and add something to this discussion of female empowerment, because I I do work with mostly men and there's something to be said for a balanced masculine, a true empowered man. This was going to be my next question. (laughs) They are not macho. They're not down woman. Go make me a sandwich. That is not a true. That's to me. That's a weak man. Any man that hides behind either his muscles or his money is weak as hell. But a man that says, Hey, I'm feeling things and I I need to process them. 
And I, I love you enough to let you know what's going on. Do you mind if I just talk this out with you? Power. A man that is willing to empathetically connect with himself and others. Divine. Divine. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the name. There, there's a seal named Coggins, and you know, he's, he's pretty uh, famous. He's written a book, but you know, one thing uh, that resonates with him is he, you know, he, you know, he's had money, he's done speaking engagements, et cetera, but now he goes around just with a backpack on his back mm-hmm. and pours around the United States. And, you know, your point about money and hiding behind that or, or muscles or, or whatever it is, you know, I can tell you, and, you know, at, at the height of my career in, in fortune 50 companies, you know, I was uh, in the C-suite and making more money than I ever dreamed I could make. And inside I was the most unhappy I had, I had ever been, you know, I had, I had all these material things. We had this, you know, millions of dollars houses overlooking this incredible, um, it looked like you're looking down the grand canal in hill country in, in Austin, Texas. We had like seven cars. We had, ATVs. I had set up an archery course in the backyard for my son because we were on five, 10 acres. But, you know, inside I was just miserable because I, I realized I wasn't living who I was supposed to be. Yeah. And yet you get so caught up in the rat race over what's truly important. Like you're, like you're, you know, saying here. And I think it's something that, you know, in, in many cases, that's how we, try to look at masculines, you know, these people have all this money or, you know, this guy's getting these girls because he's got the muscles. Well, it, it I don't think that that's a true reality. Oh, it's all. completely flawed reality, completely flawed reality, further perpetuated by social media and the media. It's exhausting. And I love when I get a male client that has leaned in one of those directions. And then like within weeks, they're like, Mac, like, Hi, Mama Mac. <laughs> like, they're so excited about experiencing this balance and the self-compassion and this openness within themselves. And then they have no choice but to go share it. And, you know, we can look at fulfillment as a full bank account or a full house or a full garage. But fulfillment is something that fills you up, not somebody else or something else, you know? And I think that if... um If I were to say anything to like the archetypal masculine in 2020, it would be give it a rest. (laughs) You know, like what, what are you flexing for and why, you know? Yeah. yeah, It's one of the the things I'm most proudest of is, you know, my son is now 22. He's just entered the workforce and he is like one of the most authentic, genuinely like kind people I'd, I'd ever met. And although, you know, he's good looking and, everything like that. He, he just leads with, you know, humility. And, you know, I, I think, um, God knows how he turned out that way. You know, hopefully his mom and I a good had a little leader. bit to do with it, but, um, male leader, that's how he turned out that way. But, you know, it's, um, it's interesting to watch because a lot of the things that he would complain about me as we were growing up, dad, you're always on your computer. You know, now when he comes over, he's on his computer working. I'm like, Dude, you're doing the same thing. So it's it's now kind of fun to point out uh, the other side of it. Well, Mac, um, I just wanted to you know to allow you to give a shout out. If people want to know more about you, where are some different places 
that they can find you? Absolutely. First and foremost, if you want to connect with me like a human, follow me at the human builder, the underscore human underscore builder. Uh, if you are curious about guidance or coaching, there is a link in that bio that you can check out, or you can just head over to humanbuilder.com. We're on YouTube as the human builder, TikTok as the human builder. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Mac Brazina, where you can hang out with my brain thoughts. But mostly if you are interested in guidance, if you're curious about what's next, shoot me a DM on Instagram. It's just me. So it's the fastest and easiest way to get a hold of me. And we'll, we'll figure out what's next for you. But just connect with me. Don't be worried. If you listen to this and it resonates with you, just send me a message. I promise you, you will get a response. Okay. That's great. And any, any, uh, thing you're reading right now, or, or I know you're a film buff, um, anything you're watching that you would, uh, you know, point to the audience to check out. I mean, what I'm reading right now may not resonate with most people. Um, I'm on my second read of the Bhagavad Gita, which is the Hindu gospel. And that's my favorite. Like I, that's my morning time. Um, I'm also reading Circe, which was a recommendation from a friend, which is more of a fantastical novel. It's a fantasy novel. And I was doing a reread of the Harry Potter books through quarantine. So. <laughs> well, you and you and my daughter would get along well. <laughs> yeah, no, part of Dumbledore's army over here, <laughs> trying to fight off the Dementors one at a time. Well, this was a ton of fun. Thank you for, for being you. so vulnerable. Um, really enjoyed doing this with you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. What an amazing interview that was with Mac Brazina. She is such a powerhouse, authentic, vulnerable, human as fuck. What a joy it was for me to have her on today. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you like it, please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Pandora, or whatever broadcast you may be listening to this. Please share this on your social media channels. And if you do, please tag me at John R. Miles or on Instagram at Passion Struck Life and keep igniting your potential. In this next episode, I'm going to talk about something we've touched on today, which is the mosquito principle and why it's so vitally important on your journey to becoming passion struck that you do a mosquito audit in your own life. I will leave you with this as I always do. Make a choice, work every day, and step into the sharp edges. Thank you again for listening and watching to Passion Struck and have a great day. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral by sharing the knowledge and insights you can use to unlock your hidden potential. To hear more, please subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes where if you simply tell three of your most driven and motivated friends about the show and post to your social accounts, that would help us grow our Passion Struck community too. If you want more tools to unlock your potential, please make sure to also visit our website, passionstruck.com, to sign up to our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. Be sure to tune in on Tuesdays and Fridays for our next episodes. And remember, Make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.